Welcome to another special edition of the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Kate Calusiestes, one of the pastors on staff. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open and affirming congregation. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our messages, we hope that you will find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your journey of faith. We invite you to listen with us now. I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on this passage, and I've spent most of the week saying, yeah, now I know why. (laughs) Immediately before these verses is the spectacle of Jesus' ascension, the story we heard last Sunday. And immediately after these verses is the spectacle of Pentecost, the story we'll hear next Sunday. But there is nothing spectacular here. This is so businesslike. Succession planning, leadership selection, organizational transition, which of course is why I'm preaching on it. It's a somewhat drab passage related to the exciting situation we are in during this time of transition for Covenant Presbyterian. And when you hold this text alongside today's other passage, you get a much less drab view of the Christian church's beginning and how that beginning illuminates the new beginning that we are stepping into as Covenant seeks its next next pastor and as the pandemic recedes. What is our best way forward? Well, first, this drab passage. When I started working on it, reviewing its vocabulary, analyzing its context, studying it, staring at it. The first voice I heard was that of a droll British gentleman who was married to one of my college professors. The professor and I were working on a project together and so I got a message from her saying that she needed to talk to me about something before Monday's class, so could I please call her at home over the weekend? Well, unchurched as I was, I called her on Sunday morning, not knowing that she was a churchgoer. But the phone was answered by her husband, that droll British gentleman. Oh, um, hi, uh, this is Lee. Is uh, Dr. Bethany there? Heavens no. She's out with Jesus and his 12 young men. <laughs> Even the unchurched Brits know that there are supposed to be 12 disciples. 12 is a major biblical number. Jesus was deliberate in lining up 12 disciples. It's often presented as a reconstituting of the 12 tribes of Israel, making it one of Jesus' strong connections with his Jewish heritage. So, after Judas leaves the fold, It's not surprising that the remaining 11 reflexively conclude that they must identify a person to fill the vacancy among Jesus's 12 young men. There is a lot to commend in their process. The disciples don't rush, yet they are prompt in taking action. Their communication is top-notch, succinctly recapping how they got to where they are before publicly laying out their next steps. Their transparency is to be commended, and they solicit input from all the stakeholders. 
Best of all, they wrap the whole process in prayer, noting the Holy Spirit's actions in the past and praying for guidance in the present. It's all done so decently in order, decently and in order that they are downright Presbyterian. There's a lot to commend. But there's one huge problem. If you're attending online, this is your big chance. Feel free to put in the comments what you find so glaringly wrong in this process. Basically, it disregards fully half of the potential disciples. Peter stands up there and matter-of-factly says, so one of the men who accompanied us, etc., etc., must become a witness with us to Jesus' resurrection. Hang on. Who was it who was the first witness to Jesus' resurrection? To whom did the risen Lord choose to first appear so that they could witness to his resurrection? I know, it was a woman. Depending on which biblical account you read, it was either one woman or multiple women, but in all four Gospels, the first witness to Jesus' resurrection is female. As your female pastor, I felt called upon to note that. <laughs> Additionally, the verse that directly precedes today's text specifies that the core group of followers who were praying together in the wake of Jesus' ascension include male disciples together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. And yet, in this time of transition, this unique moment so ripe for new vision, Peter stays stuck in the way it's always been. And it's not just Peter, because when he declares, we need another man, Nobody calls him on it. Apparently they're all nodding. Yeah, we've always had 12 men, so we better get another man. Never mind that it was a man who just betrayed the Son of God. I may need to pause here and note that I have three wonderful brothers and two wonderful sons and a wonderful husband and I had a wonderful dad too. So I am blessed to live a life shaped by men, every one of whom would stand with me to point out that this text is proof of how the way it's always been is not necessarily the best way forward. With that in mind, let's look at today's other text, the not drab text that Sally read. It's set on a wilderness road. And there we meet an Ethiopian eunuch who oversees his queen's entire treasury. This VIP, castrated whether by accident or, or design, has traveled all the way to Jerusalem, that's about 2,000 miles, in order to worship. And as his chariot bears him back home, he's puzzling his way through the great Jewish prophet, Isaiah. Now, as the Ethiopian eunuch, no amount of pilgrimage, no amount of reading can alter the fact that he is geographically, ethnically, and anatomically 
excluded by the disciples, this is how it's always been, approach in Jerusalem. And yet, the Holy Spirit, who is always at home on a wilderness road, the Holy Spirit inspires Philip to share the faith with this otherwise excluded traveler, and then to dare unprecedented openness and flexibility and innovative inclusivity that Peter's This Is How It's Always Been club could never have imagined. And thus, with the ad hoc baptism of an Ethiopian eunuch somewhere along a wilderness road, the generative growth of the Christian church begins. Church, in the wilderness of this pandemic, the entire world has had to change. Among countless other transformations, congregations that barely had a website have found themselves suddenly broadcasting worship services. And pastors, whose aversion to a camera borders on phobia, have found themselves being televangelists. Our denomination, which jokes about being the frozen chosen, has been dynamic and creative, nimble and innovative. So with all of that practice freshly in us, Instead of caving in to drab old patterns, we know we are capable of better than the way it's always been. We are capable of living into all that God created us to be. We are capable of spirit-led change. Some of you can actually remember when the first, very first, female clergy person was ordained by the Presbyterian Church it didn't happen until 1956. And pretty much all of you can remember when our denomination finally recognized the ordination of LGBTQ individuals. That was only 10 years ago. Imagine all the possibility wasted by centuries of being stuck in, this is how we've always done it. But friends, if you feel like weeping to think of all the untapped potential, all the stifled gifts, all the glory that was not given to God, hold on to this beautiful fact. Covenant Presbyterian Church knew better. This congregation ordained LGBTQ elders before our denomination officially allowed it. Thank you. That makes me hopeful that whenever we catch ourselves on the verge of saying, this is how it's always been, we'll stop and carefully assess the value of whatever bit of tradition that is. Twelve men was the way it had always been, but at what cost did Peter stick with that old habit? Again, there's nothing wrong with male leadership. I am daily grateful for male colleagues, many of whom are in this sanctuary right now, serving in this congregation and beyond. And you know, this Matthias, whom they discerned as Judas's replacement, he may have been a really great guy, though I can't resist noting that this is the only time in the entire Bible that he is mentioned. There's just so much more possibility with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch out there with the Holy Spirit on the wilderness road. That is what launched the future of the church 
that we now gather in. The eunuch's faith and curiosity, along with Philip's spirit-led communication and innovation, that nudged them into the future. Maybe neither of them lived to see the explosion of Christianity outside the confines of Israel, but their openness to a future beyond the confines of how it's always been earned them a place beyond the drab. Deanna Rosa and Sally will now update us on their journeys to follow God's call. Like mine, their voices would have been totally excluded from the gotta be 12 men model. So these two seminarians represent the glorious possibilities that we cut ourselves off from when we cling to the way it's always been. As we challenge ourselves to get unstuck from unhelpful traditions, I invite you to hear Sally and Deanna Rosa as valued members of this congregation and also as reminders of the endless, glorious possibilities available when we loosen our grip on the past and dare to travel that wilderness road that leads to God's future. Friends. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. And please visit our website, covpresatl.org, for more information as well as our full archive of recorded services to learn more about us and to get in touch with us. We wish you well in these times of upheaval. Grace and peace to you.